everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones back with you for Front Row Knowles. Keith, we could probably sum this one up in, I don't know, time it takes Keon Coleman to make a one-handed catch for a touchdown. Florida State was dominant. Not a complete game. Like we can we can quibble and nitpick, but that was a pretty nice effort against a team that has had their number. You know, when the game first started, though, Tom, I was a little bit uh, nervous. I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the TV feed. But there were a couple of things on that first drive, first offensive drive that Florida State had, not the least of which on Travis's touchdown run, the ball was centered and he wasn't expecting it. It hit him dead in the dead in the chest. If it's two feet to the left or two feet to the right, it goes right by him. Uh, and yet he takes that bad thing and turns it into a touchdown. Uh, I think that was kind of implement, emblematic of how that game was going to go. Florida State did some really, really good things, but then Florida State had some miscues. Uh, certainly they dominated the performance and they won going away, and that's what people will take away. But as we've talked about, eighth win, Tommy, eighth win, and you still got teachable moments on that tape. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, to your point, they put the ball in harm's way twice on that opening drive. And over the last three games, they've done that five or six times. They did it twice on the opening drive against Syracuse. They got away with one against Duke. Yesterday, you had an exchange issue that Florida State recovers. And the ball that Travis threw that should have been picked, I don't know if the TV copy showed it, but Keon Coleman fell down. So it wasn't that right. bad. A piece. Coleman fell down on his route. But nevertheless, it should have been picked off. That said, the the let's go the other way, though, instead of starting with the nitpicking, Keith. Uh, FSU, every game this year has had a period of time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, three drives, four drives, where they just completely put the game away. And they it got to 10-7. And for a fleeting moment, I thought, we're not really going to mess around with Wake Forest today, are we? Because this Wake Forest team isn't in the same weight class as FSU. And boom, sure enough, there goes FSU, and they score 24 points, including 10 in the last what, minute of the first half? I mean, they just absolutely wiped the field with Wake Forest. Championship teams understand, you know, and, and have another gear they can take it to. And FSU, as you've mentioned, has done that. And then uh, all the old things – well, I say old things, Tommy. All the things that are now part of the new book, where you go for it a lot more on fourth down, you pay attention to the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, this and that and the other. Uh, and certainly Florida State has bought into all of those things, and Coach Norvell and his staff have established all those things. Now, again, it's Wake Forest. They're a good football team. Uh, last week it was Duke. They're a better-than-good football team, although they lost yesterday. Um, so, you know, you, you haven't – you know, you, you're not back playing the LSUs and the Clemsons, although Clemson lost last yesterday as well. Uh, so I don't know what the future holds, but I knew, do know that they are executing very, very well, but still with an upside left to achieve. Quick side notes. Clemson at four and four still plays Notre Dame. And I knew they weren't at the championship playoff level, but I didn't think that they were going to drop from – double-digit wins to potentially fighting for bowl eligibility, but it feels like that's where that's heading for Clemson. Duke surprised me. I didn't get a chance to watch much of that game. By the time we were on the flight home, it was already 17-0. I do realize Duke was without its best lineman and its second-best offensive lineman went out in the game, so that certainly didn't help given what they do. 
And then you have Miami. I don't know if you watch that, Keith, and we'll see them obviously in less than two weeks. But this is two weeks in a row where they got the ball back with plenty of time to move and try to attempt a game-winning field goal in regulation. And Mario took a knee. He had he had 27 seconds and two timeouts, and they had to go about 40 yards. And they have a kicker who's 15 for 16 this year, and he just took a knee and went to overtime. And two weeks in a row, they've gotten away with it because they've won in overtime. But that doesn't seem like the smartest play if you can finish it in regulation. And not only anyway, that, what, what, what we know about Cristobal, that doesn't seem to be in his DNA. When will – it's oddly counter to the fact that he wouldn't take a knee at the end of a game that he had one, but he will take a knee at the end of two games that he ha doesn't have one, but that's another podcast. Anyway, back to, back to Florida state. I, I, uh, when we left the stadium after the Duke game, I was really impressed with Duke. And I thought if Riley Leonard was healthy, it might be that FSU saw Duke again in Charlotte. Now it doesn't appear that way. It appears that Louisville might be the the most likely. And I've, I've not watched them, uh, a lot this year. I watched them some when they beat uh, Notre Dame. But anyway, Florida State's not officially in that game yet. They have to play Pitt, and we'll talk about that later this week. But Pitt lost a thousand to seven yesterday. I mean, they may Big have time. just quit and packed it up on their season too. So, yeah, I listened to Dave. Let's bring it back to the Wake Forest game. I just listened to Dave Clawson's press conference, and I don't know if you heard his comments earlier this week, but he really and their their sideline reporter. He and I chatted for a while yesterday, and. uh Dave Clawson, it, it's evident in his comments. He really is a big fan of Norvell. They met uh, Wake Forest played Memphis in a bowl game in Birmingham a few years ago. But he he sang his praises this week in his in his regular press conference and post game. I mean, he couldn't say enough good things about how talented FSU was. And this this is this is kind of college football today. Maybe the most sobering thing, if you were a Wake Forest fan, that he said was, he said, you know, I thought we had caught that program. And maybe we're going to pass them, and now they've just passed us right back. And we, you know, and and you could hear it in his voice how much effort it took for Wake to get to the point where they give FSU fits, and then lo and behold, FSU resets the button and writes the ship, and they just wipe the field with them. And Tommy, you know, in our our in my generation, we go back and we talk about the coaching relationships, uh, Beamer and Bowden, and, and of course Tommy Bowden with against his dad and and Spurrier at Florida, and Jimmy Johnson at Miami, and, and how those got intertwined and what all that meant. They had Adam Fuller mic'd in the pregame, and he is talking to Clawson about all of the commonality of the coaches they've worked with. You know, Adam worked with, with Echo at Richmond. Well, Fuller coached with Clawson as well. I don't think Clawson and Norvell have ever coached together, but again, as you mentioned, they faced each other, and and they're a part of the younger breed, the, the newcomers, if you will, uh, that are coming into the ACC and to to football in general, and and it just continues to uh, reinforce that that coaching community is a very tight knit small community, and everybody knows everybody. Um, that as I've gotten older, that's been very uh, um, interesting to me. Uh, and it was evident in the Wake Forest FSU contest yesterday. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just kind of jumping all over the place. Keon Coleman, I mean, he's a highlight show every week, right? I, I guess maybe the biggest takeaway is that the offense was without three of its top six receivers because you didn't have Johnny Wilson, you didn't have Destin Hill, uh, you didn't have Hakeem, who has been playing well and in the rotation, had a big first down catch against Duke. 
and and really didn't miss a beat. Now I say that you could see, and I don't know if it showed up on TV that, you know, some of the guys who got in there, the chemistry is not exactly the same with Jordan. They, you know, Jordan threw a ball early in the end zone that uh, Williamson should have caught. It was a beautiful throw and he didn't make that catch. Portier drops one late in the game that, uh, you know, is an easy catch and he's going to run for 10 more yards. So, you know, there's a reason that they're not the first team, right? But but the the point is there's still enough skill on that team that you can overcome that. Well, and, and Bell had one of his better games with uh, four receptions. Um, uh, Morlock had a couple of catches, uh, averaged uh, 22 and a half yards a catch. One of the ones that he had was a pretty remarkable catch uh, that I'm sure got Florida State fans a little bit excited. Uh, but, you know, if you, you go back to the basics, you know, Jordan ends up 22 of 35, 359 yards, three touchdowns, um, one sack given up by the offense. Um, they did not run the ball particularly well, did Florida State, averaged a little over four yards a rush, 30 attempts, 126 yards net. Uh, Benson ends up with 55, but of course his big, you know, not coming out, but you know, we always talk about LT, Lawrence Philly, and his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And here, here, here we come with a with a screen pass to Benson, and he he trucks it 80 yards to the house. By the way, some really, really good blocking. We talk about the wide receivers blocking, but there were a couple of offensive linemen on that particular screenplay uh, that, you know, as we say, you could bump that to their highlight reel. They did very well. <clears throat> so FSU finishes with over 500 yards of total offense. And we still say, man, what's the upside? You know, three, three of your receivers out. Uh, Benson didn't have a 100-yard rushing game. Uh, Travis only ran the ball seven times. Um, and yet you still manage 500 yards of total offense. Well, they had 300 at half. And I was just looking at their season stats, Keith. And one of the things they really improved on, and, you know, and they, they need to improve more offensively, but uh, – Remember early in the year, the, the conversation was FSU's taking too many deep shots and not doing enough underneath. Well, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the screen game. We've seen more swing passes. We're seeing more things over the middle, down the seams, getting the tight ends involved. And I was just looking at their third down percentage for the season, and it's up to 45%. And it was 37 38% for the first three or four weeks. And so they've steadily that is climbing, and that tells you that they're having more success down to down. Although I say that yesterday, I think their average yards to go on third down was was nine. Now that got skewed by the third and bus ride. Third, I'm not going to talk about the officials today, Keith. I'm not going to talk about the officials. I promise. Well, not only that, Tommy, you weren't able to see it, but if you watch the third three thirty games and then the seven seven thirty games, there's officiating problems all over the country right now. I mean that that hit on on Sanders that he got tossed. I mean, first of all, he hit him with his shoulder. And and people, you know, it's just it's just bad. Yeah. Well, let's just leave it at that. Let's go a week. Keith, I, I, we don't have to talk about it this week. I'm okay with that. Okay. Moving um, along. No, the, the point is the offense is making strides, but still has room for growth. They still, I don't think, have their their first five out there because some of those linemen are still dinged a little bit. I, I think, you know, you as a defensive guy, we should shame on us, Keith, because we didn't start defensively here. But the defensive line for Florida State absolutely controlled that football game. I mean, the starting quarterback was one for six, I think, into the third quarter. And the one was on a coverage bust. Other than that, he would have been 0 for 6. Well, and that's and they because finished, of what they did up front. 
Well, and, and you know, you look at, we'll start with, with uh, Griffiths, the quarterback. Um, you know, you look at the statistics and you would say, wow, the, the defensive backs had a great game because um, Wake only finished with six completions. But you're absolutely correct. The reason they only had six completion was the play of the defensive line. Not that the DBs did bad, but that defensive line created things. Here's a stat for you, Tommy. And I think I'm, I'm relatively close. Um, Duke, excuse me, Wake finished with 49 rushing attempts. Okay. They had three long plays, what we would call, two of them would be called gash plays, three of them would be called long plays. They had the 51-yard run by Ellison where you had a linebacker that didn't fit. Wait till Adam talks about it on Monday, and he'll say, they'll ask what happened on the 51-yard run, and he'll say we didn't have the proper fit because you had a linebacker went the wrong went, to, went and, and took a chance and went the wrong way. So 51 yards, uh, Griffiths had that 20-yard scramble, and then you had a 16-yard run by Claiborne, the backup. All right, that's 87 yards in Wildwood math. They had 128 yards rushing. So they had 41 yards on the other 46 rushing attempts. Yeah, that's remarkable. Isn't it, though? It was just nice, and they're not running the slow mesh as much now because their quarterback can't run it the way Hartman did. Nevertheless, in Wake Forest, it felt like role reversal. A lot of times we, we think of the flip coin. Wake Forest has all these fifth-year seniors on the offensive line. And this year, they've got three of their guys are in their first season starting. And it's FSU that's got six-year seniors on its offensive line, right? So it was nice. And it was good to see uh, Jared Verse. You know, he from a sack standpoint, he hasn't had the numbers that, that many of us thought he would. But he got two more. And so the stat line will look a little bit healthier. He also took stitches during the game, by the way. I'm sure they talked about that on TV, but he got his eye poked or took a finger right here and sliced his, his cheek or his eyelid open. Um, I think Patrick Payton's been playing really well lately, too. And it's, it's good to see that. It just, just in general, I, I think the defense is to be commended for having playing, Keith. And on the on the broadcast, uh, Jeff and William were talking a little bit about how Griffiths was having trouble seeing over the line, and I don't doubt that that's probably true. But I think the problem, the other problem, is when he saw over the line, there weren't receivers that were open. There wasn't separation, and so he's afraid to pull the trigger because the corners are so good in coverage right now. Yeah, I, I have been impressed. You know, uh, one of the knocks on the FSU defense last year, and then maybe the two years before that is once, twice, three times a game, you would see a, a wide receiver, a tight end, a back out of the backfield, running wide open. You know, there would be a bust. Uh, you don't see that. You know, you occasionally see a receiver out, out fight a Florida State defensive back every now and then. But you don't really see folks running wide open, whether it's man coverage, whether it's zone. You know, and one of the other things, that, and I, I haven't talked to Adam about this, and I haven't really studied it, but one of the new things that's happened with with the uh, with trips and even the quad stuff, particularly when you form trips or quad with motion, when you're in man coverage, they switch. Have you noticed this? So you've got a you've got a defensive back that's following a receiver or a back in motion. In the old days, Keith would stay on number twenty eight. Okay, wherever he went. 
Now, once Keith gets across the defense, they they make signals to each other and they start reading routes. I'll take the first inside cut. You take the second one. Okay. You take the first outside. I'll take the second one. And they don't go strictly man to man. And they've performed very, very well. That's been an interesting development for me. I, I, I would love to have the opportunity to sit down with Coach Fuller and and have them explain to me because that's something that that's not terribly new, but it's just not used a lot. Well, and Florida State maybe is more proficient at it now, so they're doing it more. But yeah, it, it eliminates uh, or it reduces the amount of times you're going to get picked or screened picked. out of the way, right? So, and I wonder. Not to cut you off, but I wonder how much of that is is uh, the new defensive backs coach, with all his pro experience. It it could be some of that too, and and yeah, when Florida State, a lot of times it it ends up looking like man, but it's really more of a matchup zone, if you will, you know. And then you're you, you end up taking. You've said this forever, Keith. And Florida State's not been a great zone team going way back before Adam. There, there's been right. a long period there, probably since Stoops, right? We, zone does not mean that you just get in one quadrant of the field and just and stay in there. that quadrant. No, you got to go get the guy who's closest <laughs> to that quadrant and cover him and make it look like man to man. So, um, anyway, I'm just looking at some of these other stats here, and uh, this is a good one, Keith. Florida State is the only Power Five team to have not allowed a passing touchdown in the month of October, and the only team in the country to not allow a passing touchdown while playing four games in October. I hadn't processed that. Says something about the level of opponent, but it also says something about how good they're playing defensively. Well, that and and, and my other stat, I tried to do a little homework, Tommy. I knew you'd be tired. I know you had that long ride home. I, I don't know for sure, but I, I suspect Laura took you out on Saturday night. You had to do something Halloween-oriented, so I know you're operating sleep-deprived. So I'm trying to hold up my end here. But Wake had the ball 14 times. Okay. One of them was a one play at the end of the second uh, first half. So we're going to say they had 13 possessions. Okay. Florida State had seven three and outs on 13 possessions. Yeah. That's not bad. You'll take that. that that'll saying? win a few ball games for you. That'll win a few ball games. Well, and again, I had listened to Dave Clawson's press conference. He had his first teamers in while it was still a three-score game, and as soon as Florida State got that one more score, he was like, all right, we're done, second-teamers. Now, because it wakes on a short week, they play a uh, Thursday night game against Duke. So, But that FSU benefits from that, too, because it was about 10 minutes to go in the game, and none of the starters had to play a snap the rest of the way. So, Right, right. You know, you take the break where you can where you can get it. Um, Travis overall, Keith, I mean, nationally, people aren't going to be tuned in watching FSU and Wake Forest, but – but they got so dominant there that if you're watching any other game, you know, over the first two hours of the day between 12 and 2, the storyline is going to be, oh, Florida State is trashing Wake Forest and Jordan Travis has accounted for four touchdowns. So that didn't hurt that that got out there nationally. His numbers are really good. And, and I keep going back to Clawson, but Clawson is lobbying for him. He says, I don't understand why he's not in the Heisman conversation. At the very least, he needs to be in New York. I mean, maybe in terms of attrition, Keith, at some point, if he's just a steady hand, I mean, he doesn't throw six touchdowns a week, but he also can throw six interceptions or have one of those egg-laying games. And it's, it's 18 touchdowns passing now and six rushing. Four games to go. Well, and think about this. You know, you know you're going to get some eyeballs for FSU Miami and FSU Florida. Okay? 
you're going to get some eyeballs for the ACC championship game because the way the championship games are scheduled, there's not any other games. So if you want to watch college football, you watch the SEC championship, you watch the ACC championship, blah, blah, blah. Um, other quarterbacks, and I know you're high on Daniels, and that's great, but other quarterbacks are playing on teams that have two losses or three losses. So that's going to be a detriment to you know our reigning Heisman uh, winner uh, out at USC. You know, Travis may end up along with Bo at Oregon. Maybe you know the only quarterbacks that end up at the tail end of the season when the voting actually starts to be on uh, no loss or one loss teams. And while I know the Heisman vote is supposed to be about the player that is the best player for his team. Um, there's still some other factors that go into there. So, um, you know, I, I, I think flying under the cover, I think when folks really begin to realize what Travis, what Jordan Travis can put together, um, I'm not predicting he's going to win the Heisman, but uh, Tommy, I, I would bet right now that eventually it'll pan out and he'll be in New York City. Sort of personally, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, I think he is, uh, as as well chronicled, somebody who developed as much as he did over the course of his career, and not just because he developed, but also because he is making the good, the key plays at winning time and leading his team. He's now the fourth winningest quarterback, I think, in FSU history, and he's got some games left that he can move up on that chart too. It's just impressive. I think to me, he's he's one of the best three or four. You know, it changes year to year how many they bring depending on the vote, but he's he's deserving of being in New York. I, I was just looking, and this is a question that comes up every year, Keith, about do they play defense in the Pac-12, right? So USC wins 50 to 49 yesterday, 50 to 49 over Cal, who is three and five. And and Washington beats a bad Stanford team. Welcome to the ACC. They're two and six. Washington beat them 42-33. And that game wasn't put away till the last minute and a half of the game. And you look at it, and Penix threw for four touchdowns and the same amount of yards as Jordan. So if you just put those on paper, it's the same. But then again, you say, well, FSU went on the road against a poor team, and they absolutely throttled them and took them out of the game. And, and Jordan led them in the second quarter, and here's Penix needing the fourth quarter. Now, I didn't watch the game, but I, I do wonder when the conversation is going to move off of the statistics a little bit and more to leading your team to victory and that sort of thing. Well, and here's probably the more important thing for, for, for Jordan. Uh, you're now hearing folks saying, why is he not higher on the draft board? You know, why, why is he considered the number nine quarterback pick, you know, by this person or that person or another person? I thought, I think you'll start seeing that change. Um, the interesting thing about uh, Heisman versus draft predictions, um, the NFL occasionally makes some mistakes, Tommy but they usually get it pretty good. And so there's probably some general managers at, at the next levels going, yeah, let him be the number nine projected pick of quarterbacks. And, and we'll take him, you know, with that 41st pick early in the second round or whatever the case may be. And that will be no, no, no pun intended, no, no bad thoughts intended, but that'll be a lot more important to Jordan Travis than whether he has a piece of hardware. I'll say this about Jordan. I, I wouldn't bet against him. I mean, he's worked so hard to get where he is now that uh, so what if he's a low-round pick and he goes there? He won't have school 
uh, in the way, so to speak, anymore. I mean, he already spends 23 out of 24 hours on football, right? He can spend all 24 on football once you're a pro. Well, um, let me interrupt you there on something. Have you noticed, you know, I consider I've not spent a lot of time with Jordan at all. He he, he wouldn't recognize me. I'd have to reintroduce myself. And maybe then he wouldn't know. But his demeanor, you know, we always have uh, compared him to Charlie, to Charlie Ward and his demeanor. Somewhat soft-spoken, leads by example versus verbal, um, as opposed to, you know, fill in anybody else that's played quarterback at FSU that's been vocal. A couple of times in that Duke game, he got he got a little feisty. He got in a defensive lineman's face one time on a run, rollout, and he got really upset when they didn't call uh, unnecessary roughness or a late hit on when he slid. I mean, you're seeing uh, uh, the competitor in him, the vocal yeah. competitor in him, start to emerge. He plays with a chip on his shoulder, you know, which is part of the reason he's gotten so good. But yeah, it it is evident. There's a couple times a game where he's frustrated by something, and he wears his emotions on his sleeve. You know, he's been he's been hit late probably five times this year on those slides. But in defense of the defender. The way Jordan slides, I mean, he gets in the middle of traffic and slides when two guys are already committed. It's not like he's sliding in an open area. And so I kind of side with the defender to some degree on that. I don't know. We got to look at the slide rule because because I don't think to the point of how Wake Forest won the football game last week when Pitt's quarterback started his slide a half inch before the first down marker and finished his slide four yards past it. I know they they spot the ball where you spot it. That doesn't seem like the best way either. So I don't know. We got a lot of rules we got to change, Keith. But we said well, we're not talking about officiating one, today. Well, we're not talking about officiating. We're talking about rules. I'll end with this, and then we'll we'll wrap things up. But um, defenses have figured out the substitution rule, and you're going to start seeing more and more offenses having to take timeouts early because the offense will make a change, personnel change. Center judge will stand in the way of the quarterback. And then the defenses are now taking their time to get defensive players on. And that that play clock is running down to four and to three and to two. And at a minimum, it will keep offenses from having enough time to audibleize at the line of scrimmage and probably will force offenses to tar- start using timeouts early. That's another rule, along with the targeting rule. Forget how the officials are interpreting it, but just the rule that's going to have to be looked at sooner as opposed to later. It is. What do they say on TV about Dave Clawson being all upset at the end of the first half on that FSU field goal attempt? Because this directly relates to Florida State ran a guy on late, and then Wake tried to run a guy in late, to force a delay of game, basically. And uh, in real time, I thought, well, the ref doesn't have to hold the ball because FSU didn't take somebody off the field. They just didn't have enough on there. And so then, the, but but I guess at one point, the previous play, Dave's argument would have been, well, they did have 11. So at some point, somebody came off. And maybe they the official said, well, you missed your 30-second window to make up for that. I don't know. I, I, they, there was not discussed much, and candidly, I didn't pay that much attention to it while I was watching. I'd have to go back and relook. Um, but it, it, you know, again, just what you talked about. Well, is it substitution when three people leave and two people come on, and then you give the defense a chance to adjust, and then you realize, wait, we only have ten, so one more runs on. Do they get a second time to adjust? Blah blah blah. 
think that's what solve the, it now. I think that's what the argument was. Yeah. 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 Can't solve it now, but certainly let's just say that defenses and coaching staffs are being able to be a little more um, creative in their abilities of running down that play clock. I think as a, as a final thought that Florida State came out of that game fairly healthy. I mean, Shaheen Brown went down at one point, but he got back in and finished the game. Verse came out and got stitches. He went back in and got two sacks. I don't know that I'm missing anybody else. I think they came out pretty healthy. Tommy, did, did, I've never paid attention. It just you, just this time together made me think about it. How many of the FSU players were visors? Not not actual number, but are the visors not thought of as being worth? I mean, a visor would have kept verse potentially kept verse from getting that finger through his face mask. I don't see a lot of players wearing the visors these days. What do you What do you see? What's your thoughts? I don't know if it's permit. I know you can't have the dark visor. That's not permissible. But I. I've never taken inventory of that, Keith. I don't know. That's probably a rule thing we could look up. But, yeah, that would prevent you getting a finger in there. I, I don't know. And then also on that first drive, by the way, one of the offensive linemen, you talked about the the interception that was dropped, the bad exchange on the touchdown run, the ball being centered with, with Jordan not ex- expecting it. Do you know one of Florida State's offensive linemen played about five snaps with his chin strap completely broken? It wasn't that he didn't have his mouthpiece in. It wasn't that he didn't have the chin strap buckled. It had completely broken. Last I checked, and an official can make him leave the game for that. Keith, Keith, do not say this because the ACC can still review the game and they'll come up with something and send a letter to FSU on Monday. (laughs) Invalidating right. the win. Matthew, edit that part out when you post this. Or, 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 or Cameron, edit that out when you post this. We, we don't need any letters from the league. By the way, uh, well, why don't you uh, – and I'll, I'll shift gears to ACC scheduling, but uh, why don't you uh, take care of our hero for the day first, Keith? Well, let's, let's pay some bills, as they say. Our most, uh, our, 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 our most outstanding play, most interesting move of the week, and obviously, I'm going to go with the 80-yard screen pass by uh, Trey Benson. And our, our most interesting move of the week is brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank. But, you know, Benson ends up with, uh, as I mentioned, 10 carries for 55 yards, but more importantly, four receptions for 100 yards, his first career 100-yard receiving play. And uh, one of the things that was talked about uh, both during the run and after the run that people just don't process about Benson, Tommy, you know, he's 222, 225 pounds. Uh, as my daddy would say, he's a good-sized youngin', and yet he still is able to run with that speed. And and the way that pass was executed, it looked like it was going to be a screen pass or a tunnel screen to the offense's right, and then Travis dumped it off to the left. And, again, I didn't catch their numbers, but a couple of the life offensive linemen got, got downfield. Normally – you know, if you get downfield as an offensive lineman, you just end up shielding or getting in somebody's way. They both executed really, really nice blocks. And Benson had a, a couple of ran through a couple of arm tackles. Uh, but that's our most uh, interesting uh, play and most interesting move of the week. Always brought to you by Primary and Bank, two locations in Tallahassee, one in Crawfordville, one down in Lakeland. Uh, stop by and see them. Visit them at www.trymybank.com. Primary and Bank, member of FDIC equal housing lender and a good, good friend of the program. So Trey Benson, uh, this is a note 
that's pretty amazing. He's the first player in the history of FSU's football program to have in his career an 80-yard touchdown catch and an 80-plus-yard touchdown run. And he did them both in the month of October in 2023 because he had an 85-yarder against Virginia Tech on the ground and an 80-yard catch yesterday. Amazing to me that nobody like a Warwick Dunn didn't do that. And Trey Benson's the first one to do that. That's impressive. And uh, as far as his draft status, Keith, every time I think, well, he's not running the ball the way we'd like. I think scouts put in the tape and the stopwatch of him running at 225 pounds away from everybody and go, it doesn't matter what his rushing totals are. That guy can play in the league. Well, not only that, and I hate I hate to say it this way, but this is what the the running back at the NFL level has NFL level has come to. All right, so we've got we've got Benson. We're going to call him what would we call him a 2019 uh, Chevrolet Silverado, okay, from our good friends up at Hobson Chevrolet. And then there's another running back from Michigan, okay, and he's got twice the yardage and twice the carries. He's a 2019 Chevrolet Silverado, okay? And they're both priced the same. You still with me on my analogy? But I know Benson, where you're going with this. Benson only has 12,000 miles, and the Michigan running back has 27,000 miles. Which one are you going to draft? Well, my real question is, why are they priced the same? <laughs> I was talking about the draft pick in the draft, but well played. Okay. Um So the ACC is going to release the scheduling model for the next seven years on Monday night. And uh, I think Florida State fans are going, well, we don't really care about the next seven years. Just tell us who we're playing next year. Make sure the game in Ireland in Dublin is still on against Georgia Tech, right? But uh, I don't think that uh, everybody is in love with this scheduling model. And, of course, it's hard to get anybody to agree on anything. And now you got 15. I don't know. Well, I guess you you probably had – 18 votes on this, I guess, because Stanford, Cal, and SMU, and Notre Dame. So getting people to agree on that. Anyway, we'll see what it is. I don't think they're announcing dates for next year. They're just announcing how often teams are going to make a trip to the West Coast and who your permanent rivals are and that sort of thing. I would mention this, Tommy. The more angry and loud the protest about that, the better the schedule actually is. Because if you got four people screaming about it and 14 people saying, oh, I love this, that means it's to their advantage and against the others. So if everybody's screaming, probably a pretty good model. Let's see. And then Tuesday, the college football playoff will come out. And we should finish on that because FSU was asked about that. Keon Coleman was great. The the media asked him about if he's going to watch the college football playoff show on Tuesday. He didn't even know it it was a show. He said, what are you talking about? Somebody explained, oh, ESPN does a show. He said, I'm not watching that. The NBA is going to be on. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll make this prediction, Tommy. Um, It will not surprise me if Florida State is number two in that. Okay. I mean, there's just a lot. There appears to be. I haven't studied it. I don't know anybody. I don't – arguably our listeners would say I don't know anything anyway. But, but you know how you how you rank people, particularly the coaches' poll, is still based on some longstanding dyed in the wool type of stuff. Um, but how the playoff committee has ranked is, is you know both good and bad has been somewhat different. Wouldn't surprise me 
Florida State ends up number two in that. Let's see. Let's see how close I am. Well, I mean, if you just look at this year and you take out Georgia's winning streak and two national titles, Georgia hasn't done a thing this year in terms of who they've played. So that that's your point. And neither is Michigan. They haven't beaten anybody either. Nope. So, and and they stole signs to not beat anybody, right? Uh, we're out of time. Let's stop there. We can do this again midweek. We will. All right. Thanks for tuning in, folks. He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.